looking into Acts chapter 13. Would you stand with me? Last week we did the first 12 verses, and today we're picking up in verse 13. And we're going to go all the way through verse 41. <gasps> yeah, this is... What we're going to be looking at is the very first recorded gospel message given by the Apostle Paul. And so we're going to give a, a little time to that this morning. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and read that entire passage that we're going to be looking at uh, this morning, um, all, uh, all of those verses. So follow along as I read from the New King James Version of God's Word. Now, when Paul and his party set, I mentioned a party, right? <laughs> no, I said, I said dance, didn't I? Well, Paul and his party set sail from Paphos. They came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. And can you imagine Paul saying, No, that's okay. But of course, he took the opportunity. Paul stood up, verse 16, and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen, the God of this people Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt, and with an uplifted arm he brought them out of it. Now for a time of about 40 years he put up with their ways in the wilderness, and when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. After that he gave them judges for about 450 years, until Samuel the prophet. And afterward they asked for a king, so God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. After John had first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John who was finishing his course, or, uh, and as John was finishing his course, he said, "Who do you think I am? I'm not he, but behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy." To loose. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now, when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, 
They took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. Don't you love that? It's another but God for us right there. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem and who are, uh, who are witnesses or his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. And Father, we do pray. Lord, that you'll give us understanding of these words as we go through this uh, sermon from the Apostle Paul. We pray, Father, that, uh, God, you will speak to our hearts. Lord, that uh, this can, in a sense, be a, 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 a model for us as we share with, with, with other people. But God, have your way. Might your spirit teach us and lead us into your truth. Might he glorify Jesus during this time, might our hearts bow before you and receive your truth. And might we be committed to live that truth that you speak into our hearts. God, thank you. We love you. Have your way now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You guys may be seated. Last week, as we were looking at the first 12 verses of this chapter, we, we saw that uh, Barnabas and Saul, Saul of Tarsus, Paul the Apostle, of course, they left on their first missionary journey. They were sent out by the Holy Spirit, as we see there in verse 4, um, through the church there in Antioch. Now, there are two Antiochs that we have to deal with here. Uh, uh, the, the first one there in Syria, uh, where this church was, that uh, we, we see Saul and Barnabas, along with three other leaders mentioned in the first part of the chapter, uh, we're, we're leading, and we're going to see that we wind up in another Antioch of Pisidia a little bit later on here, as we, as we already mentioned, as we already read. Uh, but the point is, they went on that first missionary journey. They, they went to the, the island of Cyprus, uh, the city of Paphos, where uh, there was a false prophet, a sorcerer, 
whose name was Bar Jesus, as you'll recall, the son of Jesus. Uh, but he withstood the Apostle Paul in his preaching. Uh, in this particular passage, we also see in the ninth verse, Saul, who also is called Paul, we see the name switch right there. And uh, by the way, I don't think I mentioned to you that the meaning of the word Paul uh, in the Greek is little. Uh, a lot of you probably already were aware of that, but it's just an interesting thing to see there. Uh, every time Paul was called, somebody called out his name, Paul, he said, hey, little, hey, hey little guy, little man, hey, little, you know. Um, I think it's interesting. Someone used to the degree that Paul was by God, but uh, like John the Baptist who said, I must decrease that he might increase, amen? That's an attitude that's important for us to have. Anyway, um, as, uh, as Paul was there with this uh, sorcerer, uh, uh, basically... Uh, resisting and, and, and trying to turn uh, the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, who had, who had invited Barnabas and Saul to come, that they may give to him the word of God. As the word of God was given, this guy said, no, 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 you, you don't need to believe yourself, blah, blah, whatever he said. I don't know what he said, but he was against it. And, and then I, I want to read verses, uh, beginning in verse 10, as, as Paul speaks to this guy. Uh, he said, O full of deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil. I find that just uh, <laughs> amazing. I mean, he calls himself the son of Jesus. Paul calls him the son of the devil. That's who he really was. You enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time, and, be, and immediately a dark mist fell, fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And again, I, I, we made the point that he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Obviously, what he saw take place had some impact in him, but it was a teaching that brought him to faith. And that's an important thing for us. You know, we, we can't get away from the teaching of God's Word, can we? We cannot get away from that. Yes, there are miracles, there are signs, and there are wonders. But we need to emphasize the teaching. Signs and wonders will save no one. Signs and wonders will not help make anyone holy. They'll bring a crowd, but they won't make anyone holy. It won't make anyone right with God. Nobody can get saved through signs and wonders. It's through the teaching of God's word. That's where the power of salvation lies. Amen? So we, we need to always remember that. And so, as we pick up in verse 13, they, we, we see Paul and his party set sail from Paphos. And that's an interesting thing here. We see, we see Luke um, changing a, a little bit in the sense of how he describes this missionary team. Earlier, it was Barnabas and Saul. 
John Mark was with them. He left, but still, it's, it's a party. There must have been a few others with them, but it's now Paul and his party. It goes from Barnabas and Saul to Paul and his party. And I, I don't think that's a coincidence. I, don't, I, it, I, I think that speaks to the issue of who it was that actually was, was leading this missionary journey. You know, perhaps it did start off with Barnabas. Barnabas is probably the guy who said, hey, let's go to Cyprus. He was from Cyprus. He wanted to evangelize that island that he came from. That makes sense. Um, but it soon became clear that, that Paul was the one that was the guy that God had chosen to lead this group. We see there in that 13th verse also that uh, when they got to Perga in Pamphylia, that, that John Mark departed from them and returned to Jerusalem. John Mark departed from them. Now, as we see that this is the first sermon that Paul gives, I want to give a few words before we begin to speak about John Mark and his departure from the group. Just kind of as we're thinking about this first sermon of, of, of the Apostle Paul, that's recorded. It's not actually his first sermon, because back in chapter 9, we saw immediately after he got, he got saved, after his encounter with Jesus, and, and after his recovery, you know, um, he began teaching in the synagogues. We see that in Acts 9.20. But in this, in this regard of, of Paul teaching, a few things I want to share with you. Uh, as I shared with you out of Acts 9.20 already, it's uh, immediately preached to Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Uh, and a few other passages that, that he wrote uh, later on to the churches that would be established through his ministry. In 1 Corinthians 9.16, the Apostle Paul writes, For if I preach the gospel... I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. You know, it was a burden that God had laid on his heart, a call that he had placed upon his life. And I understand that. You know, um, as a pastor, I understand the idea of a call being placed on my life to do this. Um, I enjoy this. I love this. I, I, I couldn't do anything else. In fact, uh, Charles Spurgeon, in his writings, uh, he held classes and he, he had lectures to students who wanted to get, get in the ministry. One of the things that he told them was this. He said, if there's anything else you can do in your life, do it. Because if you're not called the burdens of ministry will kill you. I understand that too. You know, it is God and his faithfulness, the grace that he gives, the gifts that he, give, that he gives to us to use to, to, to uh, uh, be in operation in our lives as we minister to others, you know, some gifts are tougher than others. 
you know, uh, in, in the sense of, you know, the response of people um, in, in, in regard to, you know, the, 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 the sorrows of life and so forth. You know, but reality is Paul saw that he could do nothing else. And it's like, I don't deserve any credit whatsoever. He said, it's, there, there's nothing to boast of in, in me preaching the gospel. It is something that God has called me to do, and I can't do anything else. So no kudos to me. I don't think kudos was a word back then. <laughs> but all the glory to God. All the glory to him. Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. As a, as a pastor, teacher, I love that because I, I, I relate to that so well. Romans 10.14 also, Paul writing, How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in, who, in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Preaching is necessary. Preaching the word of God is necessary. That's the only way that salvation is going to come, as we see there in Romans 10. I alluded to that earlier. It's not signs and wonders. It's the teaching and preaching of God's word. In 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul wrote this to Timothy, a young pastor, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. In Titus, a letter to another pastor, to Titus, in verse chapter 2, verses 1 and 15, he said, Speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. He also said, Speak with all authority, which which speaks of the, the reality that, that a, a teacher, a preacher, needs to be doctrinal as well as authoritative. Important stuff. In the Old Testament, the prophet Amos, in chapter 8, verse 11, wrote this as he's quoting God himself. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. It's not that there weren't prophets bringing the word of God. The famine was in the hearing of it. People would not have it. They would not listen. They didn't want to hear that stuff. Same thing goes on today. It goes, in, it goes on within the churches, and obviously and especially outside of the churches. Paul also wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. That's a reality. And the problem is 
the problem is not so much with the people who want just simply, ha who have the itching ears and just simply want to hear what they want to hear. That is a natural thing that is human. It's a part of what we are as people. Apart from being changed by the power of God's Spirit. That's naturally how we are. We don't want to be rebuked, and we don't, be, we don't want to be exhorted to do things that we don't want to do. The problem is in the pulpits. Too many pastors who find out what their sheep want to hear will give that to them simply so they'll keep coming back. That's the problem. In the pulpits of America, the pulpits throughout the world that are preaching a different gospel, that's the problem. I have to say to you, I am so um, honored and grateful to be given the privilege of speaking God's word to you. I'm blessed that you hear. I'm blessed that you respond. I'm blessed that you respond in such a way that, as was testified yesterday, we at, uh, uh, at the uh, celebration, we had an open mic back in uh, room 316 where we had our meal. And um, on several occasions, and, and I've heard it over the years, over the 30 years, I've heard it hundreds of times that our church is known as a place where there's love. You know, that blesses me. Because God himself is love, and he, and he tells us his command was to love one another even as I have loved you. Love one another. And this is how people are going to know that you are my disciples. And so that's... That's the greatest blessing to me. That's how I know you're responding to God's word. Because loving people the way Jesus has loved us is not a natural thing. That is a supernatural thing that, that comes from the heart of God as he places his, his Holy Spirit within us, who sheds the love of God abroad in our hearts. As we have the word of God as a guide, we see how Jesus has loved, and so we follow that example. And the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. This imitating Jesus is what it's all about, becoming like him, and we know that that's his purpose for us. And so that just blesses my heart. And it's my, truly my great honor and privilege and joy to be a part of that. I appreciate you guys a lot. I do. Love you guys. Thank you for your response to God's word. That was not planned, by the way. <laughs> John Mark departed. We see that this um, becomes an issue later. Um, Mark leaving the way that he did, John Mark, and later we're going to see him called, he's called Mark, John Mark, John. Um, but we see later in 
Acts chapter 15, verses 39 and 40, these words, as, as, they, as Barnabas and Paul were about to set out on another missionary journey, then the contention became so sharp between Barnabas and Saul because Barnabas wanted to take his cousin, John Mark, with them. Well, it became so sharp that they parted from one another, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. It caused a division between Paul and Barnabas. Now, that's, that's a sad thing. But we see Barnabas functioning in his role and in his gift as an encourager and as an exhorter. He wanted to encourage John Mark. You know, I, I, I would, gosh, I, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall listening to their discussion. You know, Paul saw him as a deserter. You know, I can see Paul saying stuff like, I, we can't use any weak-spined cowards on this trip who get their hands dirty or they see something they don't like or hear something they don't like and, oh, I don't want this. I'm going to go home to mommy. No. He's not coming. But Paul... He's a good young man, he's, but he's young. He'll learn. Let, let's take, you know, I mean, that kind of stuff, right? Something like, I don't know. That's all my imagination, of course. But, I mean, something like that, probably. But, you know, eventually, John Mark proved himself useful to the Apostle Paul. We, we find in Acts, or excuse me, in 2 Timothy, excuse me, uh, chapter 4, verse 11, as Paul is giving his final greetings to Timothy, he says, only Luke is with me. He says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Isn't that cool? They were restored in relationship, and Mark found himself in a place where Paul had confidence in him, we could use him for ministry purposes. You know, and that just is such a cool thing. And, you know, I, I would have liked to have seen how that all took place too. You think Barnabas had anything to do with that? I think so, probably. But the point is this. God restores us. Now, we need to respond to him. If it's our desire to serve him, he will use us to serve him. And at one point in time, if we make some bad decisions and we just, oh, John Mark, he bailed. He bailed. You know, I, I can't count the times that, that we've seen people just simply bail. Without reason, perhaps. I mean, in term, no reason given. Sometimes uh, people will say, well, the Lord's just leading me away from this ministry. And, and you know, um, I don't think that that's really true. 
God gets blamed for a lot of stuff that people decide to do on their own apart from him. But the point that we need to see is God restores. He restores what the canker worm has destroyed, doesn't he? He uh, puts us in a place if we want to serve God. You know, and, and I, I would share this with you. If you have been in ministry in the past and, and something moved you away, whatever it was, it could have just been a bad decision, could have been difficulty, difficulty with the person that you were serving with perhaps. I mean, that happens. I don't know. The ministry was too hard. Maybe it was too, it took too much time away from, from your family. I, I, I don't know. I'm kind of thinking out loud with you here. But if you've ever felt like because you blew it and you're not worthy to serve any longer, I want you to rethink that. First of all, let me ask you a question. Who among us is worthy to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. Can you name anyone? None of us are. We're made worthy by Him. His presence in us is what brings the worthiness. And He gifts us and wants to use us according to those gifts. Guys, be restored. Serve again. You know, don't feel like whatever happened in the past is something that's permanent. God wants to use you. And if God has spoken to your heart, he may be speaking to your heart right now. I hope he's speaking to some of you. God wants to use you. Be encouraged to re-enlist in his army to serve once again. Moving on. We haven't even got to the sermon yet. <laughs> Maybe we won't be able to do it. It's, 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 well, uh, no, we're not going to be able to do it. We're going to have to stop. When, when does the sermon start? Here in verse 15. <laughs> we'll do verse 13 and 14. And that's it. Anyway. Um, when they departed Perga, verse 14... They came to Antioch and Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. There we get a glimpse as we read verse 15 uh, along with it. Let's go ahead and read verse 15, uh, part of it anyway. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them saying, we'll stop there, and then they invited uh, Paul and Barnabas to speak, if they like to. But look, in verse 15, we see after the reading of the law and the prophets, we, we, we get a little bit of a glimpse of what a synagogue worship, uh, or order of service in a worship service in a synagogue was like there in the first century. Now, we have a couple of occasions that we see this in the scriptures uh, Luke gives us both of them here in Acts and in his gospel as well. 
uh, when, when uh, Jesus goes into the, the synagogue in uh, Nazareth and he receives the, 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 the book of Isaiah uh, from the ruler of the synagogue and he begins to read and so forth. We, we get a, a little glimpse there as well. But some outside sources uh, uh, show to us the, the way that a service would go. And this is consistent with that. One thing we know is that a Jewish synagogue service would open up with the reciting of the great Shema. We find that in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Let, let's read that. This, this is what they would do every single Sabbath day. And this, was in, this amounted to their, their profession of faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You will bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And that's exactly what the Jewish families would do. You've seen pictures of Jewish men with a little strap and a little box on their forehead? It's this verse strapped to their head. You shall bind them to the forehead. And that's a signal of my mind is being guided by the truth of God's word. Or it will be strapped on a wrist. And it's a sign that the things that I do are guided by the truth of God's word. It'll be posted on a on at the door. This is, and every time they would come in and come out of the, of, of the building of their home or, or maybe their synagogue or whatever, you know, they would touch it with their hand. You know, just uh, uh, always before them, the truth of God's word, the, the, the great Shema, the, this confession of faith. Th that's how the service would begin. There would be more prayers, and then there, there, there would be the reading of the Law and the Prophets, as we see here in Acts chapter 13. And it was after the reading of the Law and the Prophets, that's when we see the invitation given for them to speak, because in the order of service, after that reading, then there would come a teaching based on the readings for that day. Somehow... They learned, the rulers of the synagogue learned that Paul the Apostle, as a Jewish man, also was a Pharisee and part of the Sanhedrin. And I would assume that that took place and why they in particular were given the opportunity to speak. I mean... Saul of Tarsus was a man of stature in the Jewish community in Jerusalem. Having sat under the feet of Gamaliel, the foremost of all the teachers of that day. 
And so he was recognized in that way. And so, I don't know if, if, if Paul told him who he was or Barnabas. It was probably Barnabas. He was that kind of, he was an encourager. He probably said, you know who this guy is, by the way? And said, oh, raise some eyebrows. Gamaliel, okay. Would you, would, you, would, you, would you like to teach? You know, I mean, it probably went something like that. And, and, and Paul never did give up an opportunity to, to teach. And, and so we, we see him opening his mouth there in verse 15. And we're going to stop. Because we don't have time to go through this. I have to apologize to you. I lied to you at the beginning of the service. <laughs> I said we would go through, the, through all these verses. We'll, we'll look at the sermon that he gives next time. But I do want to turn to the end. Verses 38 to 41. After speaking of Jesus as basically, well, Paul gives a brief history of Israel here. And, and then he really points out that Jesus is the culmination of all of Jewish history. All of God's word points to Jesus Christ. We also see that Paul speaks of the fact that Jesus fulfills Old Testament prophecy. He speaks of that in these verses as well. We, we see spe specifically beginning of verse 33 through, through verse uh, 37. And in verse 38 and forward, we see Jesus lifted up as the one who justifies sinners, the one who makes sinners right with God. Let's read those verses, beginning in verse 38. Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Well, that's an important point right there, isn't it? What happens through Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins, redemption, being justified. Justified is a word that just simply means being made right with God or, or being recognized by God as being right with him. That can't happen through the law. That, can hap that can't happen through the keeping of the law. Because no keeping of the law removes sin from us. It's only the work of Christ. Amen? And this is the message that he's bringing. It's just through Christ that you, are, that, 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 that you can be justified by believing he who, whoever believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Remember, he's in a synagogue. He's speaking to Jewish people and to fearers of God. Beware, therefore, verse 40, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. In other words, 
now that you've received this word of salvation, beware. You've heard the word. It's best that you respond. Beware. Lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you, behold, you despisers, marvel and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to, de to declare it to you. This is a quote from the prophet Habakkuk. Habakkuk 1 verse 5. The context there is judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. You know, we talk about the faithfulness of God. We, we really hit hard on that yesterday. The faithfulness of God and all that God is, He always is. He cannot be anything else but what He is. And he cannot be anything different and He has to be exactly that, what He is. We talk about his love and his mercy and his grace and his compassion and all these wonderful things we like to hear, but he also is just, which makes him a judge. And he must judge righteously. We talked about that a little bit yesterday, but judgment is coming. Judgment the, the, the sin of every human being must be judged. Now, we who've received Christ understand, and this is why we come to him. He died for our sins. He died in our place. Anyone who does not come to Christ, who does not believe that, must account for their own sins. And will. See, God is faithful. He is a just judge. And every human heart, every human being will be judged. That should serve as a reason for us to be all the more anxious to share God's truth with people around us. And to live it. You know, we've got to share his truth as Paul is sharing this with these men and women. But we've got to live it before them too. Because we had better not dare speak the truth of God's word and then give people a reason to think that we really don't believe it by the way that we live. Amen? So, Beware, Paul said. It is going to happen. But what also happened is God made a way for salvation. The cross of Jesus Christ. So we cling to that cross. We cling to that old rugged cross as that song goes. a horrible, torturous tool of, um, of death, but also the means by which 
our sins are removed. So it's an ugly, horrible thing at the same time as it is a beautiful uh, statement of the grace and mercy of God. And we're going to celebrate that right now. You guys have got your communion elements, right? We are going to partake of communion. And Richard is hurrying toward the door. Here, there, he's coming through the door right now. I was looking at the back door, Richard, and you're sneaking in on the side there. He's going to lead us in a song, and we're going to go ahead and partake of communion.